Before we look into God's word together, let us speak with him again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is such a delight for us to have your law before us, to have your very word. Lord, it is incredible to think that the God who made everything, the God who sent his son into this world and raised him from the dead, speaks to us. Lord, we pray that we may have ears to listen this morning. We pray that we may be attentive. We pray that we may sit under the teaching of your word and not sit over it looking for mistakes, looking for things that we don't agree with that are said from the pulpit this morning. But Lord, we pray that we may submit to the preaching of your word. We pray that we may become more like your son Jesus Christ as a result of spending some time this morning looking into your word together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever taken a long journey to do good things at the end of it. Probably the longest journey I've ever taken is when we made a family trip to Melbourne in the car. I uh, haven't driven such a long distance before in my life and I haven't driven such a long distance since. It was quite a trip. But we did the long journey because we knew at the end of the trip we would have some fun things to do down in Melbourne. And we did those. Even though Joshua was very small at the time, he was about one year old, uh, we were able to still do a lot of fun things together. We were able to go and see different sites in Melbourne itself, go to different shops, uh, eat, which is one of those things that I love to do when I'm on holidays, or just generally speaking. And, of course, we were able to go to the Melbourne Zoo and look at the animals that were there. We were able to do lots of fun things as a result of this long journey that we had made to go to Melbourne and one of our holidays. And the Israelites this morning, we're going to look at, are making a long journey as well. They're going to make a long journey from the land of Babylon to the land of Jerusalem, and so that when they get back to Jerusalem, they can do lots of fun things. They can do lots of good things for God once they get back to Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, Ezra chapter 8, and particularly verses 31 through to verse 36, as these Israelites make a long journey and then what they do back in Jerusalem. Now, I should probably give you a little bit of a catch-up on how we get to this point. Ezra is not one of those books of the Bible that everybody knows really well. And so how does Ezra come to make this journey? How is Ezra actually in the land of Babylon and needing get, to get back to Jerusalem? Well, I'll start with the very beginning. God made Adam and Eve. He created the world and then made Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, of course, had children. From their children, you eventually get the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel end up in the land of Egypt. Uh, While they're in Egypt, they're enslaved. God brings them out of Egypt in what we know as the Exodus under a guy called Moses. They end up traveling around in the desert for a bit, but then going to the promised land. They live in the promised land for a time, but they sadly sin a lot. And as a result of their sin, God ends up taking them in exile from the land of Israel to the land of Babylon. They spend some time in exile there, and then God in his mercy says, "Okay, you've spent your time in Babylon, now you can travel back to the land of Israel. And so that's where the book of Ezra opens up, is the first lot of Israelites travelling back to the land of Israel. And then 
halfway through the book of Ezra, we see a second lot of Israelites begin to make that journey, and that is what we're looking at today. We've been looking at Ezra as he's prepared, he's got the king's permission in the beginning of chapter 7, and now he is able to finally make that journey that he's been preparing for. We've seen him prepare for it by getting family heads together at the uh, beginning of chapter 8. We've seen how he's got Levites to go back with him so they can perform temple duties. We've seen how they've fasted. They've made sure that they prepared themselves for this great journey and they've also made sure that their money is going to be safe on the journey as well. We looked at that in previous weeks. And now, finally, after all that preparation, these Israelites can make that long journey back to the promised land so that they can do good works. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at this journey and them doing good works back in Jerusalem now that they finally make it there. And so my first main point this morning is the Israelites do good works in Jerusalem. They do get back there and they do these good works for God. If you want to follow my main points, they're on the back of the church bulletin there. You can see my main points. And so the first is that the Israelites do good works in Jerusalem. What do they do? What are their good works? Well, the first good work is they rest for three days. And we read that in verse 31. On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the harbour canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. They get back to Jerusalem and they do this good work of resting. Is resting a good work though? It sounds like they were lazy. They get back and what do they do? They sit around for three days. Well, rest is a good work. The Bible speaks a lot about resting and God in in his Ten Commandments even, what is the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment is that you should rest every seven days. You're meant to have a day of rest. It's amazing to think that God has to actually tell us, take a break, take a rest. But he does, and he gives other times of rest in the Israelite law as well. Rest for the land, rest for slaves, the jubilee, the uh, the year of jubilee that comes up. God is interested in the subject of rest, and so much so that he commands it. He commands us to rest. And so these Israelites, it's not surprising, when they get back, they need to rest. It's been a long journey, and they need this rest before they can start doing good work for God. Because sometimes if we don't rest properly, how good is our work that we labour at? If you go without sleep, how good is the work that you do the next day? We need rest. We need rest. And so the Israelites do this good work of rest. Then secondly, what else do they do? They do the good work of transferring the money that they've brought to be spent on the house of the Lord. And we see that in verses 33 and 34. Ezra chapter 8, which is page 469, verse 33, we read, On the fourth day in the house of our God, we weighed out the silver and gold and the sacred articles into the hands of Merimoth, son of Uriah, The priest, Eleazar, son of Phinehas, was with him, and so were the Levites, Jozabad, son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, son of Banu. Everything was accounted for by number and weight, and the entire weight was recorded at that time. This is an important good work that the Israelites needed to do when they got back. We looked at previous in previous weeks how much money was entrusted to these Israelites. And that was listed for us back in in verses uh, 26. 
through to 27. It says, I weighed out to them 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, and 20 bowls of gold valued at 1,000 darics, and two fine articles of polished bronze as precious as gold. And we looked at the weights of those, and it's actually tons of gold and tons of silver that they're taking back with them. And they took important precautions to make sure that money would get back there safely. And so now they're back. They make sure that that money that is being dedicated for God's use is transferred into the hands of those people at the temple, that it's transferred there at the house of God. It's an important good work, the transfer of this money, and it happens. And then the Israelites, thirdly, do a good work of worshipping God by sacrifices. Verse 35, Then the exiles who had returned from captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel, twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven male lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They get back to Jerusalem, and what do they do? They rest, they transfer the money over, and then they use that money to, of course, make these sacrifices that are so desperately needed. The Israelites are sinners. They need that sin atoned for. And so they make sure that what God has commanded in his law is performed, that burnt offerings and sin offerings are made. And so they do that once they get back to Jerusalem. And then the fourth thing that they do is they deliver the king's orders. Remember King Artaxerxes, who we saw many weeks ago, and his favour that he showed to the Israelites in letting them go back? Well, he ordered the governors back in the land to support the Israelites. He did that wonderful thing of saying, look after these guys. And so the Israelites have this paper, they have this document, this order from God, and they take it to deliver it to the governors in the land. And so we read in verse 36, the fourth good work that they do. They also delivered the king's orders to the royal satraps and the governors of Trans-Euphrates who then gave assistance to the people and to the house of God. So they make sure that that document gets handed over to those who are in power back in the land in the Trans-Euphrates and so that they then get that support that the king has ordered will happen. So we see here these Israelites do these four things. Now, how are the Israelites able to do these things? How is it possible for them to do these good works that God has commanded them to do? How is it possible for them to do these good works back in the land of Israel? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. The Israelites do good works in Jerusalem because of God's protection. The only way these Israelites are able to do any of these things is because God has protected them. And we see that in verse 31. We may have skipped over it uh, as we read quickly before. You may not have even noticed it. What does verse 31 say? On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the harbour canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. Why are they able to get back to Jerusalem? It's because the hand of our God was on them and God protected them from enemies and bandits on the way. It is a miracle that these Israelites were able to leave the land of Babylon and return to Jerusalem and do those good works there. It's easy to just think, oh, it was like me taking a family trip to Melbourne, that it was all in my own power that I did that. But it was a sheer miracle that these Israelites were allowed to go back. Firstly, when we don't even consider the actual journey itself, it's a miracle that they're able to go back. They were prisoners of war. 
They were taken to Babylon, not because they chose to go on a family trip to Babylon because they were bored of Jerusalem. No, they were captives. They were enslaved again. And so for them to be able to return means that people high up have to say, yeah, it's okay for you to go. And we've seen God bless them by giving kings like Cyrus and Artaxerxes the desire in their hearts to let them go back. But then we see that the Israelites themselves, they get permission, but they've kind of gotten used to living in the land of Babylon. And they don't want to go back. They like it there. They're prospering well. And if they go back, it's a long trip, and who knows what it'll be like, the living conditions back in the land of Israel. And so even within their own hearts, there's resistance to returning. And we see Ezra had to counter that resistance with the Levites. He needed Levites to return. And so we see resistance even amongst the Israelites to going back. It's a miracle that the king said you can go. It's a miracle that even any Israelites wanted to go at all. But then it's a miracle that they make it on that journey back. It's not a simple trip that they are making. It's a a very hard trip they're making back from Babylon to the land of Israel. It's a long distance. It's about 1,500 kilometres. That's much further than my trip to Melbourne, which I thought was a long journey. And it's a long distance at the best of times, even with you know, uh, car travel, like I travel to Melbourne. But this is on foot. It's a long distance, even today, but it's an even longer distance when you think that you had to walk 1,500 kilometres. It's a long distance to travel. It's a difficult trip to make with a large body of people. Getting people organised to go anywhere, a group of people, is hard. Hard work, getting the family organised and let's go, let's go. Why are you late to things? It's because you may have extra people to try and organise to get to go to something. And this is a large body of people that is actually returning. And we've got to remember, it's not just a large body of people. There are people who are in this large body who are returning who aren't all that suited to long, hard slogging journey. This includes children and elderly people that are going back to the land of Israel. Whole families are returning. It would be hard work making this trip. It's a miracle that they can make it back there in one piece with all the people that are going and the types of people that are going. And it's people who are not accustomed to travelling. It's all very well for nomadic sorts of people to make long distances, long travelling journeys like the Aborigines in Australia or gypsies that travel around on a regular basis. But these are people who have been living in one spot for a long time. And now they're going to make this long trip. It's also a difficult journey to make because they don't have military strength to support them. It's one of the points that Ezra knows about, that he doesn't have the king of Babylon's support, military support, in going back with him. Uh, And so the military are very handy to have around, not just in protecting you from enemies that might attack you, but you see that whenever times of disaster happen, who gets called in? It's those soldiers, (laughs) not to attack people, but to put sandbags down, to block floods, to build bridges, to do those things that are labour-intensive. And if if soldiers had been going with them, those soldiers would have been carrying some stuff, I'm sure, as well. They would have been helping with the baggage. They would have been helping carry little kids that might need carrying. They would have been very helpful, but the Israelites don't have that military support. And it's through a very difficult area. It's not like they're going along 
uh, an area that has lots of pit stops along the way, lots of places to refresh them. They're going along a desert. This is a difficult trip for them to make. It's a desert journey. That means that there's scarcity of food and also particularly water. And these are people who are doing labour-intensive walking. They need water, and they're making this difficult journey. They're also making it uh, in bandit territory. It's not that they were somehow paranoid that they might get attacked. This is an area that they're going to be travelling along where people will attack them, and that they can just disappear into the desert. And it's a journey that's going with a large amount of treasure, that they'll be a target for bandits. It's not like, you know, when someone tries to rob you and you've actually got nothing really on you and so it's not much of an experience and so people don't really target you. Well, that's the opposite here. They've got tons of gold and silver. They are a real target. And so bandits would be interested in what they're up to. And also, it's a long time that they travel for. It's a long journey, which means a long time. They travel for four months. This gives lots of opportunity for bandits to come along, for thieves to come and attack them and to plan their attack upon these Israelites. So it is a sheer miracle that these Israelites make it back from the land of Babylon to the land of Israel in one piece. Really, this is termed a new exodus. This is a new exodus. The first exodus is coming out of slavery in Egypt. This is the second exodus of coming out of slavery in Babylon where they were captives to the land of Israel and it is accompanied by a miracle. It's not the miracles in the sense that Moses did miracles of plagues and the different miracles of manna and water from rocks in the desert and dividing the Red Sea, but it is a miracle in itself as well. We just cannot... Uh, overlook this fact that they made it back safely so they could do works, good works in Jerusalem is a miracle. It is indeed a new exodus accompanied by a great miracle. And why is it possible then? It's because of the hand of God was on them and protected them. That is the only reason these Israelites can make it back. That massive journey with that large number of people, with that large amount of cash... It is a miracle that they made it back, and it is only because of God's protection. So what is the lesson for us from this? What can we learn from these Israelites and their second exodus? Well, my third main point this morning is that Christians do similar good works. We are like the Israelites in many ways, and that includes the good works that they do in the land of Israel. Firstly, Christians do the good work of resting easy, of taking time out of your busy labours to rest. We do that each week. We have weekends. We have times of rest. And I don't rest on Sunday so much. Um, That's a labour-intensive day for me. But I still have Monday off. It is my day off. And our family loves Monday. We call it Fun Day Monday, where we take a break from our regular duties and we enjoy family time together. We take that time off. We need the rest. We know God encourages rest. And so we do that work. But we also have rest in other ways. As Christians, not just in physical rest, but we also have rest with God. We're no longer having to work for our salvation because we all fail, we all sin. We have peace with God because God has paid for our sins through Jesus Christ. And we have peace with our fellow men. When we're non Christians, when we don't follow God's ways, we create tension, we create wars with those around us. 
But now, when we become Christians, we do good works of peace and love towards others. And so we don't have that conflict with them anymore. We're able to rest well with others. Secondly, Christians do the good work of giving money to God's work. This transfer of cash that takes place here in Ezra, we also do that. We have possessions. God has blessed us with immense wealth. We may not have tons of gold like the Israelites did in our backyard, but God has indeed blessed us. And we can use that. We can transfer that cash from our accounts over to God's account, over to his house, to the work of his kingdom. We do this good work like the Israelites. And thirdly, Christians do the good work of worshipping God and worshipping God with sacrifices. Not in the same way that the Israelites worship God by sacrificing lambs and goats, but we do offer God sacrifice. What sacrifice? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 1 John 2 verse 2 says, He, meaning Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the sacrifice that pays for our sins. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to encourage you, understand that you need to offer a sacrifice to God to make up for your sins. And the only sacrifice that is sufficient is Jesus Christ. He is the pure Lamb of God without sin, and he is the only one who can pay for your sins. No amount of good works will make up for your sin. There is only one thing that can pay for your sin, and that is Jesus Christ. And you need to offer him to God. How do you do that? It's by repenting of your sins and believing that Jesus Christ died for you. You say to God, Jesus is my sacrifice. That's how you offer him. And then if you are a Christian, then you also offer you offer the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You continue each day trusting that Jesus is the sacrifice for your sin, but you also offer the sacrifice of your life. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, this is uh, Paul speaking, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We still offer sacrifices as Christians, not by slitting animals' necks, but by our own bodies, by offering ourselves up for God's service. We sacrifice our lives by working hard for our employers. We sacrifice our lives by working hard for our families. We sacrifice our lives by working hard for our church, by attending church meetings, by coming along to church, by attending prayer meetings, Bible studies, men's meetings, women's meetings, by doing evangelism, by speaking to others about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is giving up your time so that you can... Sacrifice that time for God instead so that his kingdom is advanced. And then fourthly, Christians do the good work of taking advantage of government support. This is something that people don't always think about, but it's here in Ezra and it's here today as well. I've spoken about it at different times from the pulpit here as well, that the government often supports Christian work. And here in Australia, we are indeed blessed with a government that supports us. They give us many tax exemptions, They give us different blessings in different ways. They give us protection by a police force that is not hostile to us. In fact, they are hostile to those who would throw rocks through the windows or um, attack us for being Christians. The police would be hostile towards them. It is a wonderful blessing from our government. 
and we should accept that blessing. We shouldn't say, no, 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 we won't take anything from the government. No, we accept it like Ezra accepted the blessing of Artaxerxes as well. So how is it possible to do all these good works? Well, just like Ezra, we only are able to do these good works of sacrificing our lives, of giving of our money by God's protection. And that's my fourth main point this morning. Christians do good works because of God's protection. It's a miracle that we're able to do anything for God. We have thieves and bandits all around us trying to take our time and use it for other ends. It is a miracle that we're able to do anything for God. Other people are against you for doing things for God. They will malign you for being a Christian. They will try and stop you from doing things that are in service of God. Satan certainly doesn't want you doing good works for God. He doesn't want you to do things that honour God. And then you yourself often don't want to do good works. You have this fight within you where you know what you should be doing for God. You know you should be going to church. You know you should be sharing the gospel with someone who desperately needs it. But there's this part of you that just resists, that says, no, I want to sleep in Sunday. I want to do something else. I don't want that hostility from someone for being a Christian. And so you have this working against you in you, this thief, this bandit, even within your own heart, trying to stop you from doing good works for God. But thankfully, many Christians do good works. And why is that? Because God's hand of protection is on us. God's hand is there with us. How do we know that? Well, the fact that we desire to do anything. Firstly, God has brought us in a new exodus again. God's people have seen many exoduses in history. One exodus, of course, is coming out of the land of Egypt under Moses. Another exodus is coming under Ezra from the land of Babylon. And if you want to take Zerubbabel as well at the beginning of Ezra, he does an exodus then as well. But there's a new exodus that has happened to you if you're a Christian and do good works for God. What is that exodus? You have come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. You have come out of your own land of Babylon where you were captive to sin and all your desires were to serve yourself and the idols of your heart. Instead, now God has brought you out through repentance and faith in him which he has given to you as good gifts And so that you can serve God instead. And then he doesn't just bring you out of the land of Babylon so that you can do good works. He also protects you and looks after you. He he protects you from sin that would so easily entangle you as you continue to try and live a Christian life. We read in John 10 about Jesus and that passage earlier has about him being the good shepherd. But then it also says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. God's hand is around you, and nothing can snatch you out. And so every time that you do good works for God, why is that possible? Is it because of your own human strength that you're able to give money to God, that you're able to sacrifice your life for God? No. 
It's because God is at the bottom of everything that you do that is good. It is only because of what is described in verse 31 about Ezra. The hand of our God was on us and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. You're on a long journey as well. A hard, difficult journey to heaven where people are against you all around you. And whenever you do a good work for God, it's only because he has brought you to that point. He has protected you through the work of Jesus Christ at the cross, that he has atoned for your sins and continues to protect you. And so when we read a passage like this where we see the hand of God's protection, we should thank God just like these Israelites were thanking God for bringing them out of the land of Babylon. We should know that anything we do for God is not because of us, but because of God and his grace and his mercy showered upon sinful creatures like us. Do you thank God every time you see God working in your life? Or do you think that it's you working in your life, doing great things for God, and that God should be thanking you for doing so much for him? No, it's the other way around. It should be you thanking God for using a sinful creature like you to advance his kingdom. And then when we encounter a passage like this, we shouldn't just be brought to thankfulness, we should also be brought to prayer. Firstly, prayer for people around us who do not share God's protection to the same blessing that we do here in Australia. Do you realise how blessed you are that God has protected you in so many ways here in Australia, particularly when it just comes to this instance of getting support from governments, that you have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world right now who not don't just have governments that are going to give them tax-free exemption, but governments that actually attack them for being Christians. Why is that happening? Well, God in his wisdom has chosen not to protect them from governments in that way. But he does encourage you to pray that he may protect those people. Pray for brothers and sisters around the world who are not protected by God's hand because it is only by God's mercy, God's grace, that they will be protected in the future like we are here in Australia. And then thirdly, what else can you do in response to knowing that God's hand of protection is on you? You can thank God, you can pray for other people, you can also pray for yourself. You look at your life, do you see yourself sacrificing your life? Are you indeed a living sacrifice to God? Or are there parts of your life that are still sacrificed to yourself, to your own evil inclinations? I think all of us in this room have to admit that we are not the living sacrifices that we should be. And why is that? Because God's hand and his protection is not on us as we should want it to be. And so we should come to God and ask for him through Jesus Christ for more mercy. He has indeed been so merciful to us already. And we should thank him for that. But that shouldn't stop us from getting up the courage to ask him for more. God is indeed a merciful and gracious God and he loves to hear his children begging him for mercy. 
And so I encourage you, when you see a passage like this that talks about God's hand of protection, don't just thank him for the protection he has given you, but ask for more as you see how sinful you still are and how much you still need God's hand of protection to bring you to do good things to advance his kingdom. So let us pray with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you this morning for your loving hand of protection that you have blessed so many people in this room with, that you have brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And Lord, this is such a wonderful thing, that you granted us repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and that you continue to protect us, that every day your hand is around us and no one can snatch us out of that hand. And then in this hand of protection that you surround us with, we're able to do things for yourself. Lord, we do at this time pray for brothers and sisters who do not experience the hand of protection that we experience here in Australia. We pray for brothers and sisters who have governments who are hostile towards them. We pray particularly for brothers and sisters who may even be in prison, in state prisons right at this moment for being believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you may show them grace. We pray that your hand of protection may be upon them. We pray that you may turn governments to be favourable to your people. And Lord, we do also pray that you may continue to protect us in our lives. May you keep away the sinful desires of our own hearts. It is so horrible to think that ourselves are against the Holy Spirit within us. Lord, we pray that this may not be. We pray that you may protect us from sinful desires and temptations. And Lord, we pray that you may protect us from those around us who might hurt us and help us to stop worshipping you. We pray that this may not be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.